Toronto's Vegetarian Podcast brought to you by the Toronto Vegetarian Association, aka the TVA. We come to you virtually from our homes and we are heard on CJRU, the Scope, Ryerson's campus and community station. My name is Sweta and I'm vegan and a volunteer with the TVA. Our mission is to inspire people to choose a healthier, greener and more compassionate lifestyle through plant-based eating. On today's show, I'm joined by my co-host Steve and our guest Akilah Wright. Akilah Wright is the owner of One Love Vegetarian. She has been involved in the food industry for over 20 years. She started out as a food vendor at various festivals throughout the city, including Caravana, Afrofest, and many cultural festivals at the Harborfront Center. She has upheld a plant-based lifestyle for many years, raising her five children without including animal products in their diet. Welcome to the show, Akilah. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. Um, so we always start off these uh, shows by asking you about your veg journey. So are you veg or are you vegan and how did that come to be? I like to consider myself plant-based um, because it's what I consume. It's not my politics. Um, I know there's people out in the forefront who are advocating for animal rights and advocating for social consciousness around food. Um, you know, And there's a lot of different labels. So I find it's more simple to... Um, call myself plant-based. I was very young when I realized that certain foods were not good for you. And as I got older and as I started to um, investigate the Rastafari faith and tradition, I learned even more about the politics of food, the politics of keeping people hungry, the politics of feeding people, especially from my community, the African, Canadian, American, Caribbean community, um, you know, feeding denatured uh, food and not promoting fresh fruits and vegetables. So that was a, a big part of my journey, especially, you know, growing up around the farm um, community as a youngster in Ontario. Um, I was on the farm for quite a few years and I saw farm culture here and it's quite different than you know, the accessibility of food in the urban centers. So it was good to have that perspective as well. Um, yeah, and that's, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, that's my veg journey. Was there anyone else that influenced you or was there anyone else that went veg around you? No, my family was very meat-oriented, again, because of the farm culture. You know, there was a lot of meat consumption. Different meat than what you know, was available in the city, but meat nonetheless, and Caribbean culture is very meat-based, so there was not a lot of veg influence. It wasn't until I came into the Rastafari community and learned about, you know, respect for the earth and respect for animals and respect for what you put on your fork and what you feed your body, you know, and that meat consumption was biblically unsound for the human body. So that was a big part of it. And was this here in Canada or was this somewhere else? This was here in Canada. 
and also okay. in the Caribbean. Um, it was a journey, again, going into the farm community, the rural areas of Ontario, um, going to the rural areas of the Caribbean, Jamaica, the British Virgin Islands, um, you know, Trinidad, and seeing the culture of food and the culture also and politics of, of food and food security. Yeah, it made a big impact on me. Did you have a hard time finding that Rastafarian community? No, it's there, you know, and because my background is Jamaican, you know, it's something that has always existed, but was outside of my realm because my family was very anti-Rasta. You know, they were more um, churchgoers and contrary to popular belief, the Rastafari culture was not something that was exalted in Jamaica. It was not something that was highlighted. It was something you were ashamed of if you had a Rastafari relative, a son, a daughter, God forbid. You know, it wasn't something that was exalted like how they see um, Sunsplash and the tourist um, trade of Jamaica that's, you know, highlighted Rastafari as something that is um, welcoming or favorable to the island. And that wasn't always the case. So, yeah, so finding community in that respect was a little bit of a challenge, but going to Jamaica and then connecting with community here, it's, you know, it's, it existed. It was very underground. Your family is ashamed of you? <laughs> I, it's not a matter of shame. As, as I said, it's like, you know, back in the 50s, 60s, if one of your children was a hippie, you yeah. wanted your child to go to college. You wanted your child yeah. to you know, go to church and have their hair trimmed over their ears. They, they weren't supposed to have long hair. So it was a similar um, uh -huh. vibe in the Caribbean. If you had a child that didn't comb their hair, that, you know, was saying that Haley Selassie is God, no, your child must have lost his mind. Just uh -huh. as, you know, North American <laughs> yeah, parents would feel the same about their children that were preaching peace and love and growing their hair long and smoking weed. You know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's the kind of answer I was expecting, but uh, I thought I'd uh, rather hear it from you than try to mouth it myself. Okay. Thanks. Well, good. Really, the truth is the truth. Oh yeah. Good. I really like that comparison. You know, it shows that our cultures are there's so many similarities. You know, like we always try to point out the differences, but really we're so similar. Whereas um, everyone is the same. Everyone yeah. is the same. Every yeah. culture is the same, but we have our culture, and there's nothing wrong with having our culture. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, it's for sure. Thing. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, but everyone's mother is terse. Everyone's mother wants to see the best for their child. Everyone's mother wants to uphold that image of Johnny's going to be a doctor or, you know, <laughs> Susie's going to the best schools. And no, not that, you know, Johnny's grown his locks and has gone to live in the hills and cultivate food. You know, nobody wants to hear that. Or that their daughter decided to go live with him. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Akila, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the, the Rastafarian culture? Um, that's a lot for one podcast. And I don't think I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm the authority that you should be seeking. If you want to know about the Rastafari culture, you should seek out someone from the Orthodox Church or from the Naya Binge Order who can give you some theoretical knowledge and i think that that's probably another show yeah so just uh, maybe just your 
interpretation of it or how you've been affected by the Rastafarian culture? Yes, well, in relation to food, absolutely. Um, you know, the Rastafari community is very uh, Old Testament. So every herb bearing seed, every food that was appointed by God for people to eat for health and longevity. And that's a vegetarian diet. That's a non-meat-based diet. And that's what Rastafari has been promoting and for the cultivation and preservation of the earth and to have modalities of farming and agriculture that will help the earth and help people and prevent starvation, malnutrition, which should never exist on this planet. And Aikila, the food that comes from Rastafarian culture, that's called uh, idol food? Aital. So, you know, it's so funny because here in Toronto, there's a huge Italian community and Aital means something totally different. You know, Aital as a short form for Italian food. So it was so funny. I was looking for an Aital restaurant in the early days and I looked up Aital and it was an Italian restaurant I went to and I thought, oh no, this is not what I meant, right? (laughs) That was back in the days of the Yellow Pages. There was no Google then. So yeah, Aital is, you know, natural, natural food or Aital food. And that's food that's not adulterated, processed. That's food that's, you know, preferably organic or the best possible food that you can eat. And Aital food in the Caribbean was food from indigenous crops that were grown locally. This was, and this is today, it's still something that unfortunately is, you know, becoming almost extinct because there's so many imports coming into the Caribbean. But here, because of imports, we are able to access food from home. At my restaurant, One Love Vegetarian, we're able to get Callaloo greens from Jamaica. We're able to get Jamaican sweet potatoes, Jamaican pumpkin, Jamaican seasoning such as thyme. And, you know, the world has grown smaller because of imports. So we're able to access the indigenous food of the islands here, which is great. But back in the day when, you know, people cooked more, people didn't eat out as much. There wasn't, you know, as much option to eat out. It was just a way of life and a way of health and a way of sharing with your family healthful food. I was reading this article and the article was talking about uh, Ital food. And um, when people think of food from the Caribbean, they often think of things like jerk chicken. Is that something that you've kind of come across that people are expecting something a little bit different from your restaurant? Absolutely. When you hear Caribbean restaurant, the first thing you think is jerk chicken, oxtail, you know, jerk pork, um, you know, things like that. And it's interesting when, you know, these are the foods of the Caribbean, you know, oxtail, um, tripe, um, pig's trotters, which is the pig's feet, chicken foot soup. Um, And it's, for me, as a Rastafari who looks at the history of our food and what we've had to made, what we were made to eat because of the oppressive state of the people of the Caribbean. We were enslaved in the Caribbean. So these foods were the foods that were the refuse. Mm-hmm. These are the food that no one would choose to eat, that we were forced to prepare for ourselves and our families. And because of ingenuity, productivity, 
industriousness, we found ways and means of making these foods taste good and to be nutritious in as much as it could. We used what we had, you know. So I think the evolution of these foods is, you know, looking at the history of these foods, do we really want to continue to eat things like that? Who would choose to eat a foot? I mean, yeah. if you were going to eat any part of the animal, you wouldn't choose the foot foremost or the tripe, the intestines, the ears, the tongue, the tail. Yeah. You understand? This is a yeah. press, this is a, a, a symbolism, it is a, a, a legacy of oppression, these foods. There's a, a documentary called The Invisible Vegan, which uh, talks about um, African Americans and their diets and a lot of the things that, that you were talking about they, they mentioned the the movie as well in the documentary that, like you said, like these, this food comes out of oppression. Absolutely, and absolutely. And a lot of people don't look at that because, you know, you hear calypso music or reggae music, you're thinking you want to have a jerk, piece of jerk and bread in your hand, you're having a good time. You know, chicken back. I'm not talking about the wing or the thigh, the back. This mm -hmm. is the food of oppression. You know, again, this is the food that was the scraps that were given to us. Yeah. Yeah, because of our resilience, we made it taste good. So for me, I tell food or non-meat-based Caribbean food means taking that same industriousness, that ingenuity, that craftiness, and finding the herbs and the seasoning to make vegetables and plant-based foods taste amazing because mm -hmm. of the seasoning. It's all about the seasoning. It's interesting, uh, I find, that when you look at um, Western restaurants uh, that are vegan, they try to take uh, things that were meat and then make them vegan. You know, so like you have your burgers and uh, you have, you know, BLTs and things like that. Um, and you look at uh, East Asian restaurants and they do the same thing. They take these dishes that were meat and they take out the, the meat and they put in like vegan substitutes for that. Um, do you find that um, Italian food does the same thing or is it just like new recipes entirely? No, because the original Italian food was food that was available um, locally, locally grown food. So there was no mock meat. There was mm -hmm. no, you know, tofu, I think, was the furthest, you know, and tofu was a big deal. If you got tofu, it's like, wow, you know, something processed to add to it. But, you know. Most of the food, the original Aital food, was based from vegetables, um, coconut-based, um, lots of uh, indigenous things like yams, cocos, dashins, things that grow within the community that you could access, kalaloo, which is Jamaican greens, um, so many things, and so many things that were able to be made, products that people were not aware that could be made without the use of dairy or eggs or meat butter, you know, because these things are heavily based in Jamaican pastries. Um, Jamaican cuisine is, is just animal-based on a whole, you know, so to have an innovation where you can make ice cream without, you know, having to have it be dairy, you can, um, you know, make meals that are just as tasty without having to make something that looks or has the mouthfeel of meat. You used to eat meat and then you start to transition personally and then how did you get from that to a successful restaurant in central Toronto? 
Boy, it's been a journey. You know, I have five children. I'm a mother first and foremost. I raise mm-hmm. them plant-based. And raising children and plant-based food, children's palates are very different than adults. So I had to find fun food, food that tasted good and was also nourishing for them because, you know, my family, especially my mother, who was a nurse, was really concerned that they were going to be malnourished because they weren't getting meat, um, they weren't getting the protein, they weren't getting the B12 that other children were getting. And, you know, there were concerns about my children that probably wouldn't have been about meat-eating children because meat is the savior of the world, I see, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah, raising the children and having to cook for them made me be a little bit more innovative with Caribbean recipes and twisting them as well, you know? Because living in Toronto, we're very lucky, as I spoke of earlier, we have imported things from all over the world here. You know, you can go to Kensington Market and access almost anything you want in seasoning from Africa, the Caribbean, um, from Asia, from India. So in this society, though, if you're raising children, uh, they have playmates that are eating a lot of disgusting stuff. Absolutely. Uh, so so you, have, you have that influence working against you, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why you have to teach your children yeah. and let them be a part of the food process. You know, my children sure. um, used to help in the kitchen. They, had a, they used to come to the market with us. And then when we started out, um, my ex-husband and myself, my husband at the time, their dad, um, we started selling corn soup, boiled corn and corn soup at many festivals in Toronto. Um, we started out very small with just one pot making boiled corn. And the children were always with us. You know, but this was an impact in what would become my um, stepping into the food industry in Toronto. We did every festival that we could think of, even festivals that weren't um, from our community. We did Carabana, we did um, Afrofest, we did Marcus Garvey Day, we did um, reggae shows. We were outside at the gate with a pot of soup. Then we branched out and started to do Harbourfront Centre downtown Toronto, where we did festivals such as Ashkenash, which is a Jewish festival. We did Mendamati Masala, which is an Indian festival. We did um, Hot and Spicy, which was a food festival. We did, um, you know, so many festivals that were not of our culture because food has no language, you know? So this is what started to springboard me to cook even more and to offer a catering for people that were asking because they saw us out there, they were drinking our corn soup, they were eating our corn, and do you cater? So I started a small catering business called Leaf of Life Catering, which I used to um, create baked goods and foods that were from my culture and also from what was available locally. And it just went from there. And now, 20 plus years later, here I am in a restaurant, One Love Vegetarian. There Your growth at One Love yes. uh, started off a little more slowly. I've noticed lately your business has been uh, uh, booming, it seems. That's funny that you would say that, considering that we're just coming out of a pandemic. We were yes. closed for three months. Um, 
we're coming back to a massive amount of TTC construction in That's all right. the surrounding streets around the business. We've struggled so terribly. And yeah. perhaps you, you stepped in on a busy moment, but it's been a struggle for every business in the city, okay. every restaurant, every vegetarian business oh. particularly. You know, my area I can speak of from Bathurst, from Bluer to Barton has been closed the week that we opened. So we've had many, many struggles. And also, yeah, was, again, many restaurants have not reopened after the pandemic closure. So it's interesting to me that you would say that. It would seem, <laughs> I'm glad it would seem that. That's good. We're putting up a good front. A lot of restaurants are fighting the good fight to stay afloat right now. Yeah. And, you know, I want to reach out to all of them and say, you know, don't give up. It's really rough. And for yeah. the support of customers that come through and try to make a restaurant busy, you know, kudos to them, like really and truly give thanks because it's rough, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it was in that context that I raised the question because I uh, I was in it around closing time yesterday, for example. And, I think yesterday and was... Um, there was a um, huge lineup. It Pardon? was an amazing day. It, was a, it wasn't a usual day. How so? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because... Because the last few weeks, I've noticed, I, I'm aware of the construction and, and COVID, obviously. And, uh, obviously. Uh, like and, and you seem, you seem to survive through that better than most places have. Well, I tell Not, you what, we've been here over 11 years now. Yep. June 1st yep. was our 11th anniversary, which we were not open for it. Um, oh. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster ride. Maybe yeah. if I knew now what I, what I didn't know then, yeah. Maybe I wouldn't have opened a restaurant. You know, the restaurant is, industry is, you know, tricky. And again, having something that's very niche, vegetarian restaurants, there's many in Toronto, thank goodness. There's more than ever than when I had my children small and I couldn't find somewhere to take them for snacks or to get something simple to eat, you know. Um, it, vegetarian Caribbean is quite an anomaly. So it's not what people expect. And so when people show us that love and support, it's amazing. And yesterday was an unusual day. It was yeah. a very unusual day. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, I didn't even know you were there. That's how busy uh, we were. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Uh, you, you, you were just trying to crank that food out. And it was, yeah. uh, there were people waiting in line outside. I don't know what time you finally got closed, but uh, <laughs> I think you didn't close on time because we there were just too many people time. out there. Yeah, we there. didn't close on time. We were a little short-staffed yesterday as well, suddenly. So. Oh, yeah. But it, it was wonderful to see that. And I, I Okay. Because uh, uh, a lot of a lot of places haven't done so well with the COVID, for sure. No, and, the COVID and, and, has and they, been devastating to the restaurant industry, yeah. especially, I would say, because I, this is what I can speak from, vegetarian and people who are trying to uphold the plant-based um, yeah. food. It's not easy because supplies are more difficult to get now because of, you know, uh, a lot of our things are imported. So when sure. I went to Jamaican Kalalu, it's very challenging to get it fresh because it has to be flown in. And sure. I will not use Kalalu in a tin. It just goes against my sensibility. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? Tahila, what's your favorite dish on your menu? My favorite dish has got to be Kalalu. Uh, again, we get the Kalalu flown in from Jamaica. Um, we use the fresh Jamaican thyme. We're using the Jamaican pumpkin as a little topping for it, the Jamaican sweet potato boiled green banana. It's my favorite dish to make. It's my favorite dish to serve, my favorite dish to eat. I love it. Um, and also, it's just such a, a comfort food 
our celiac customers can eat it, anyone can eat it, people with allergies, people with gluten intolerances. So it's a very universal dish that's come from a faraway place. And it really, every time I open a box of Kalalu, I have this great appreciation for the farmers and what they had to go through to get this Kalalu passed by the Ministry of Agriculture to be deemed fit for export and for it to reach up here. It's a big deal, you know? Mm -hmm. Akila, did you have anything else that you wanted to say or add? Well, I appreciate the Toronto Vegetarian Association very much. It's an association that is run by volunteers, which is not easy. Um, sometimes you guys undergo a lot of criticism, and people have to remember that this is an association that needs volunteers. And I would say to anyone that you know is not satisfied with the TBA's performance, they could volunteer some of their time and efforts to you know strengthen it and considering that this is a grassroots community effort to see the vegetarian food fair grow as it has over the years i've been doing the vegetarian food fair for over 10 years and to see where it came from from a tiny festival that became something with programs and you know scheduling and speakers and and vendors from all over the country just amazing the tva has maintain its integrity and has grown into an organization that represents and helps people to become more um, plant-oriented, less meat-based, and the resource center making books that you cannot get in the bookstore available to people. I've gotten my best cookbooks from the TVA, you know, so I would encourage everyone to access the resource center the resources that you guys put out online, um, and also to, you know, have your book list available for people to look up great books that can teach them about plant-based lifestyle. Thank you, Aikila, so much for joining us today, for taking time out in your day. We will all be sure to stop by your wonderful restaurant and eat your tasty food, and we encourage everyone listening to do the same. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for people like yourself and Steve who are out there on the front lines, you know, promoting healthy lifestyle and making resources available for people to, you know, get information to make healthy choices and to really make plant-based choices for the betterment of themselves and for the planet. You're so kind. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Hey, the documentary that I mentioned as we were speaking with Aikila, right, The Invisible Vegan, that is available to rent on Vimeo for $5.29, and I'll put the link in the description or the show notes. Um, I would like to mention that there is a march for Regan. Uh, Regan Russell is the activist who was struck and killed when she was uh, doing the vigil at a slaughterhouse for pigs. The March is on Friday, July 17th from noon to 2. It starts at CBC headquarters downtown Toronto at 250 Front Street West, and it goes to Queen's Park. We'll put a link um, or we'll put the information in the, um, the show notes. And then this is kind of old news, but we didn't cover it, and uh, I just found out about it, so I'm going to mention it now. Um, but there's a company uh, out in uh, Victoria, BC. Uh, that um, makes seitan meat, so meats made from wheat gluten. And they're called uh, Very Good Butchers. So, so they make like sausage and burgers, and I think they even make veal. They make a lot of different stuff. 
And um, they uh, went um, public. So they had an IPO and they have stock now on the Canadian stock market. So now there are two uh, vegan stocks that you can purchase. There's this one and there's also Beyond Meat, of course. And this launched in June 18th or on June 18th. It uh, was uh, started at 25 cents per share. And it's now, uh, so almost a month later, it's at $1.70 a share. And uh, on Friday, it went up by 19 cents. So that's, that's huge, you know. Um, and Beyond Meat, I mentioned before that uh, it was rising quite rapidly as well when COVID hit and the stock market took a, um, a bit of a downturn. It went down just like everything else did, but it really quickly picked up. So I think um, it, on the lowest end, it, it went down to like $60 and then it went up to, um, it's at, uh, I think, 130 now. Um, so again, these stocks are showing crazy growth. Um, I'm not recommending anything. The TVA is not recommending that you purchase any of these things. These are just fun facts. That's it. The financial decisions that you make are all your own. Again, just sharing fun facts about vegan things on the stock market. We have two events coming up in July. We have a virtual tour of Farmhouse Garden Animal Home. This was the sanctuary that we had mentioned in the last podcast. Jeanette had said that they have a jigsaw puzzle out. So that's the sanctuary that we're talking about. This is on Saturday, July 18th. If you are a a TVA member, you will have received a special registration link. If you are not a member, join today and receive your invite before it's too late. And then Friday, July 24th, there's a virtual party with games and prizes um, and cool meal delivery options and more. We also want to let you know that Veg Food Fest is going virtual on our typical Veg Food Fest weekend after Labor Day. So save the date. You've been listening to Veg Out, the Toronto vegetarian podcast and radio show brought to you by the TVA's Resource Center crew. We are heard on CJRU 1280 AM, The Scope. Remember, you can listen to past episodes on our app, The Veg Guide, and at veg.ca slash vegout. Find out everything you need to know about what we do at veg.ca. If you're listening to this podcast in July 2020, please note that the Resource Center is still closed due to COVID-19. Check out our social media for updates. Thanks to Matt Judge for our theme song. And until next time, veg. Veg out.